Hey guys, it's Scott from fxmissions.com. Just a note, I've finished the trilogy of anthologies from the forefront, and all three books are currently available on Amazon. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast. Stories about courageous souls who felt the call of missions and obeyed. Hi, Scott McClellan here with your FX Missions from the Forefront podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're uh, so happy today to be joined again uh, by Terry Hoggard. Terry was with us in the leadership moment uh, recently, and we uh, didn't get enough over there, so we asked him to join us here on the longer format podcast from the Forefront. Terry, thanks for being here. Sure. My joy, Scott. Thanks again for the invitation. Yes, sir. Well, Terry, we learned a little bit about you the other day. Thankfully, you've had quite a history here in missions and in building organizations and doing a lot of stuff in Europe and all around. I know you're currently in the States. I know you'll be pushing off soon, but wanted to see if we could get just a little more information about yourself, where you come from, your family. I did notice something the other day that suggested, you know, the picture on Facebook that does the facial scan and says that you're 41% Viking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is there... Is that true, Terry? Are you really 41% Viking? Well, let's start with the obvious. It's probably because I have a rugged face and blue eyes. <laughs> in, re- in reality, I do have uh, – there is definitely a Viking background in my family lineage. I think I mentioned this before that for about 10 years, I was doing two weekends a month or about 14, 10 to 14 days in Denmark – and mm. 10 to 14 days in Sweden. So I was kind of around the Scandinavians. And back even prior to that, I met a Norwegian lady at a, at a speaking event. She says, your last name? I said, yes, my last name. She goes, that's a very strong Viking name. I said, you know, I didn't know that, but I, I, I knew there was a historic connection. So yeah, there is something there. Of course, like many Americans, I'm so much mixed as, as many of mm-hmm. us are, but there's definitely a leaning into that. And uh, there's a great <laughs> cricket bowler in the UK whose name is Matt. He calls himself Matt Hogard. And that uh-huh. very protruding, rugged forehead, it seems to be, I think that's that's that Viking mark that they say is a pretty clear indication. So I do have to own that to some degree. <laughs> okay. Well, just I, in some ways I was kidding there, obviously. But, you know, I mean, those, I think my sister had that little facial scan thing that it said she was like 25%. Native American. And recently, my daughter had one of those DNA tests, you know, that shows where you're from. We all thought, yeah, we were waiting with anticipation. You know, she's going to come back maybe 12 to 15 percent Native American. Zero percent Native American, my daughter. So she uh, she she was a little befuddled to find out that she was like 98% British or something like that. Wow. So I'm going, okay, well. Yeah. Anyway, it's well, it's good fun. Anything that can and, happen and it, with the face recognition on Facebook. I mean, let's let's be honest. The accuracy <laughs> always suspect for sure. Yeah, I think it's more you know <laughs> equally entertaining as anything else. So that that is uh, that is cool. Where where were you raised, Terry? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Wichita, Kansas. 
Okay, Wichita, Central Kansas. Yeah, and uh, uh, mom and dad were just great Christian. Great came from a great Christian family. Have an older brother, two younger sisters. My older brother was a twenty-year U.S. Army guy, and both my sisters, interestingly, married pastors. So we, wow. we kind of all landed in in very familiar places. It seems. Wow, that's cool. I like Wichita. I mean, I've been through there in recent years quite a bit. So interesting part of the country, very interesting folks, uh, solid Midwestern stock, I would say. Exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> it, except for the cold that uh, Wichita gets pretty cold, uh, at least a few of my experiences <laughs> have been. Of course, I wasn't raised there, but where do you hail from now? I think you're currently in, did you say St. Louis? I'm actually in Springfield, so I have oh, yeah, been 32 years living in Europe, and even currently, I have my official residence is still in Brussels, and I, I go back and forth. So at the moment, I'm doing about two weeks in in Springfield and two weeks in Brussels, and from Brussels, other places. But yeah, we've we have an unbroken 32 year history of being European, which is something I. I, in some ways, never anticipated was hap- would happen, although I, I answered a pretty strong call of the heart to go to Europe back in 1986. But, uh, yeah, that's that's been our home. Well, can you tell us some about that that strong call that you're talking about? I'm guessing this was your first time in, in that particular episode or time that you're talking about was your first time to go long-term outside the States. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, my my journey is in simple terms. I, I grew up in the church, but I tell people I, I love the church, but it was really never love at first sight. And that happens to a lot of, of us, I guess, back in the 70s. We maybe judged yeah. the church too harshly. But I met Christ in July of 1970, and, and I've just been a passionate Christ follower since those days. And I was just about a month away from becoming 16. But it was at a big moment in my life because I, I had just struggled to find identity. I mean, I tell people, of course, I needed a savior, but the greatest thing Jesus gave me was something to live for. So it was this powerful mm. sense of purpose and mission that I experienced at my conversion that that sort of propelled me forward. I did go to, to Columbia, South America for a month uh, after I graduated from high school. And that was a, a great experience. Uh, largely, I spent most of my time recovering from it because uh, that was my very first time when I was mm-hmm. 17. And a lot I didn't understand, but I guess what really was born out of that was this this sense that that I felt this awakening that that maybe somehow that was meant for me, and I think there's a lot of reasons why uh, a European destination worked for me and back in those days, but I think it was largely because I'm. Uh, I, I love people and I, I love engaging with people and I love launching initiatives. And so in the places I was serving, there was always a desire from a partner, a national church partner organization who said, look, we want to do more in church planting and in engaging strategically in, in difficult places. And so it just happened to work that I was able to do what was in my heart from a platform that also allowed me to be of great value to another group. So serving others and at the same time launching something new was just the perfect combination for me. That is that is very cool. On that front, now we're talking. Did you go to Brussels in '86? Is that where you went? No. Here's what happened. I, I went, and, and um, I'll keep this brief. But we all have a story. So I actually went. And I had a passionate call to Rome, Italy. 
And so I spent my first 10 years in Rome and I planted an international church in Rome, which for our organization was the second church, international church established in Europe. So I established the second, served it for 10 years. And then I went to Brussels, which was the first church, the mother church. And I served that church for 10 years as their pastor Okay. And continue to live in the city. Very, very cool. So, you so know, my, my Italian that, is very present, Scott. If I start <laughs> in Italian, I don't have to finish. I just never. So I learned it. I learned it at 30 and I love Italian. My wife's from an all Italian family in Pennsylvania. I'm the wow. only guy in the family whose name does not end in a vowel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, well, that that's uh it kind of came natural then. You were surrounded by Italians, and you you know you learned Italian. I've got a friend who does some work in Parma <laughs> and around Italy, for that matter. But he, uh, I think, principally is involved in Parma. Continues to ask me to make it to Parma, and I so much want to go, but so far I haven't been able to get there. So make it happen, Scott. Got to happen. It. <laughs> it's got to happen. Interesting that you'd mentioned a minute ago that you were looking for and working with sort of the home organization that was looking for places that were difficult, perhaps for the mission or or for the, the evangelism or whatever the focus might be there. It's interesting to me that in a lot of ways, Europe seems to be, and I've only passed through Europe a handful of times, don't know Europe well, but in my scan on it or from what I've learned, Europe is not a very difficult place to be in terms of comfort and convenience and, you know, those kinds of things. But for the gospel, it seems that there's kind of some hard ground. I'm thinking as you as I'm thinking about Rome, you were in Rome for 10 years, even though Rome is, uh, you know, (laughs) I don't know how to say this in a nice way. You know, Rome is the clearly the worldwide headquarters of the Roman Catholic Church, but that doesn't mean it's like heavily evangelized. I would suspect it might be hard ground for what you were trying to do. What can you tell us about that? Well, I yeah, it, it, exactly. You're exactly right. And the thing is that the Catholic Church is, has a wonderful presence, but like many, 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 well, all of us really, many, many organizations and denominations, you quickly spin into a cycle where everything that's important existed and had value long, long ago. So people have then a profound understanding of the depth of what the church has been, but often not a living dynamic experience with the church in their in their own personal lives. And that would be true a lot of Rome. They're very deeply respectful of the church, understand her value, but they have they've not been personally helped by the church for all of their life and many of them for their parents and even their grandparents. It was just it was historically mm-hmm. something we we knew about and loved, but it didn't didn't have any daily living engagement with it. So that becomes the challenge. And of course when that happens then people then are looking for answers and though they know the church exists, they're not really expecting it to have have anything really relevant for them. I say about mm-hmm. Italians especially that the Italians Although very cynical about religion, they're very curious about the supernatural. 
Mm. And if you go to Europe's big piazzas and squares, there's tarot card readers and palm readers and psychic channels. And so there's something about them. They're just curious, inquisitive people. So they're very curious about that whole dimension, that whole world, but they don't make any association that the church would be at any level a place that you could experience something really profound and 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 supernatural to the point that it's beyond what our natural minds could comprehend. They just don't think like that. So you go wow. to the church to, to when you're born, you go back to be christened, you go back when you're married, and you go back when you die. Wow. That is exactly what my friend Tony Hedrick, who who works uh, there in Parma, has told me. He, actually, he referred to a number of the number of psychics as compared to priests in Italy, uh, (laughs) which I don't remember the number, but I remember it was staggering. And there is from a psychic, I think the psychics basically have the priests surrounded in terms of number. There's a lot of spiritual hunger and desire there, but no living connection to the reality that offers a supernatural experience and introduction to the, supernatural realm so that's exactly correct. that very very interesting you said something i'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to at about 10 minute at the 10 minute time where you're talking about just having a historic view of relevance but no personal living connection mm-hmm. to a relevance that what once was and i think that it can be certainly a real risk for all of us as we're thinking about our history and God and you know and and what we've done and where we've come from and where our parents came from and those kinds of things and how the Lord moved in and out of their lives but nothing really replaces that living heartbeat of relationship though it is i guess you know if we think we can learn anything from history there's something certainly to be watched out for there for all of us i mean uh, the way I've heard many people describe it, it with regard to not losing your first love, and that is that we all have to remain first generation in faith experience. Uh, like mm. many young men from Kansas, my part of America, my grandfather believed, I mean, he lived the gospel. My mother mm. believed the gospel, and I questioned the gospel. Wow. And that's kind of how the way it goes. I would never doubt my grandfather's sincerity. I watched him as a young man, and I was so impressed. My my grandfather lived his faith in, in ways I couldn't deny. And my mom believed what my grandfather lived. And and when, by the time it got to me, I, I, I questioned it all. I wondered, you know, if it even matters anymore. And I had to go back to the same kind of experience my grandfather had. I had to have, I had to become first generation again in my heart. And when that happened, of course, it changed everything. That is a powerful way to explain that, Terry. Thank you for sharing it in that way, because I think that it's a visible sequence that I think can happen in so many families and is observably on display in so many family histories. That's a sobering thing to me to hear you say it that way, and, and, and I appreciate you for sharing it just like that. So let, let's fast forward here a little bit, if we can. You're, you were in Rome, and you were pastoring there. Then for 10 years, you went to Brussels. You pastored there. But I know at some point you got on to the, a different part of your calling from pastoring, and you started some networks or organizations. I think you've done a few of those now, but I don't understand it in the kind of detail I'd like to. So 
What about the network or organization stuff that you've put together? What, where'd you start out on that side? Maybe a little bit about how you recognized that was the right direction to go in. And then what have you guys seen from, from those early days? Well, the one thing I knew is that when I went to Italy, the big thing in Italy was the challenge. Our churches were very strong, but they had a very dominating culture that they both wanted to preserve and practice. And so what I knew was that with all, particularly living in Rome, five, six million people, I saw all these folks who were not Italian by birth, not Italian by by citizenship at that point. They just were, they were there for a variety of reasons. And it was students and immigrants and refugees and, and diplomats and businessmen and domestic workers who followed them, this whole international community. And in 1986, it was prevalent. It's extremely prevalent and almost dominating today in large European cities, but it was prevalent. And so we began to work among internationals. And when we started, we didn't have 1986. I I knew maybe a couple of guys, one guy in Houston and one guy in D.C. who were kind of into this 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 multicultural environment and so i had some background but not a lot so when we started our church we we became aware of the fact that we are learning as we go and we understood that when you learn something it's not just to profit in the moment but it's to pass on to others who may have also a desire or or who will be helped by the value or the the principles you've learned so started the church in Rome, saw some great things happen there, did the church in Brussels, lots of similarities, though, in different countries. There was a lot of similarities. And then mm-hmm. I began to gather, I became aware of other people in Europe. So I basically had 12 close friends, and we were mm-hmm. all in different cities, all doing different things, commonly linked with regard to the mission we were on, but diverse in every other way. And we just recognize that there's a lot of value here if we could just relationally connect around the fact that we were doing a a similarly focused ministry. And so my point was, everyone's going to have their own organizational network that they belong to, and that's where they get their Mm -hmm. spiritual covering, and everyone's going to have their own national network. That's where they get legal covering for visas and status and and -hmm. recognition in their nation. But but what was missing was this relational network. And I kind of saw it like this cord of three strands. The organizational one is so important to be connected and loyal and faithful, and you need your national covering because you don't have legal status without it. But the mm-hmm. relational piece, I wanted, I just saw that's something that we would really profit if we could just find ways to connect. So I started mm-hmm. the network with these 12 friends, and they all agreed, let's do this, let's find ways to come together. It began with sort of a commitment to be in communication on a very intentionally created rhythm. So we, we made that mm-hmm. covenant with each other. Then we decided we would meet together, and in the end, we picked week 22 and week 42. And the Europeans refer to dates in weeks. So it was, a con- it was week 42 <laughs> when we met for what we were going to call our, our summit. And the summit was very structured. It, it, it was very intentional. It had a lot of designed activity going on. It was, we, we had time to be together, but it was really a, this was a structured moment. And then mm-hmm. in week 22, we had like our retreat, which was just sort of a spontaneous moment. And the thing I observed in watching the life of Jesus is that he did as much in the spontaneous moments as he did in the structured moments. Mm. And so we wanted to have those two, those two different kinds of meetings. Structure wise, we have a theme, we tell you about it, we call in speakers, we build to that. 
spontaneous. Mm-hmm. We met in a hotel very near the the it was along the coast of the Vene- the Venetian coast. We were forty five minutes from Venice. Met a great guy named Bruno and Giovanna. 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 They opened their hotel a week early for us. We sat on their wonderful, beautiful terrace and had cappuccinos and cornetto, which is a croissant. And mm. we didn't have a single driven agenda, but we talked about stuff and had tremendous takeaways by just a spontaneous time kind of created to be together in a in a different context. So that's how we started. Wow. Now in September, wow. we'll add our 81st church, 81st church to that, that network in Europe. And uh, it's pretty exciting. That is, uh, I'm, I'm nearly speechless over here, which rarely happens, Terry. I will, you get an award on that. <laughs> I, I, I don't think maybe I've said this to you before, but, you know, I have, um, Epex Missions has something very similar to what you're talking about on uh, an annual basis where we do a summit type of experience and we do the, the spontaneous piece we have been doing that. We'll do our fourth one in January, and so. But you know, some of the the, the alternating approach of structure versus uh, spontaneous is something I think that we've lacked, and I, I had absolutely no idea. So I'm as shocked as anybody here <laughs> <laughs> to learn of the of the approach you guys worked out, and I'm guessing you're you're doing it. You know, that's a rhythm you've continued in that way. Is that correct? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And they ju- we just had to change locations because we met in Vienna for the longest time and outgrew the facility. So now they're meeting. Week 42 is always August. This this year it's October 16 to 20. And they meet. In, we meet now in Bratislava. But it's really fantastic. And I think, wow. Scott, just to say to you, one of the things that also drove this was a lot of our pastors were bivocational, which mm-hmm. meant that they almost never got like to go to a real like a a church retreat and, and, and yet also go to a conference. So we saw, we saw from the beginning, the conference setting is critical for them because there we share resources there. We, we have intentional things. We're trying to build them up and give them strength in, but the spontaneous one, the guys, they need a retreat. They need a break. They need a little mini vacation. And um, we just found out that, that both settings had great value. And we, we talked about doing one or the other, and, and the, 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 the guys themselves protested and said, no, man, we need both. I said, all right, we'll keep them both then. Wow. That is – I'm taking notes here. If you hear me, you know, rapidly scribbling here uh, just to make sure – obviously, I'll go back and listen, but I want to make sure that I get the essence of what you're saying right now because I think it's so important especially as we're all we like you say each one of these people who are participating in the network they had their own work they had their own emphasis they had their own networks if you will they had their own trajectory but to come together and be able to encourage each other and stand together really for me one thing that I've noticed and and, and has been extremely valuable in my own life is to have people who really didn't have something to gain from what I was doing be willing to, you know, I'm talking about directly, have, you know, not not a direct sort of return on investment in my own life. Those people be willing to stand with me in relationship to say, you know what, you're going to get through this, uh, whatever your difficulty is, and God's going to get glory from it, yeah. and you're going to stand victorious at the end, even though right now you might be in uh, challenging 
waters. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's been huge for me to hear you talk about this is, you know, it's confirming in some ways and I think also enlightening in other ways. So speaking about the relational aspect, I know for me, and as we're talking here, uh, as I'd mentioned to you a little bit earlier, the, you know, the relational component, almost everyone I find who's been doing the kind of work that you're doing and many others whom I know and have had a chance to meet and get to know, that type of work is is got a high casualty rate. One of the things that I've noticed is that the relational, having strong friend relationships, peer relationships, obviously oversight relationships and people you could contribute to as well, those are important, but peer relationships are huge in terms of uh, longevity when it comes to this dangerous work we call missions. Would you would you agree? And what could you tell us about that? What what would you say about that? Well, I, I yeah, you mean without living without relationship? Yeah, w- without it, your casualty rate is going to go extremely high, Absolutely. and your longevity. And, and you've been doing this now <laughs> a little <Yeah>. while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you would be one of those high examples that come to my mind of someone who who has has weathered quite a few storms. I think relationships and having that relational component has been observable in my view to be a real factor there. What, what have you seen? Well, I, I would say I would say this, particularly in, in these guys that I'm talking about, it's the guys who are like the outliers. They're just a little, either they're a bit ahead of the pace of those around them, or they're kind of out on a fringe edge still at the moment, not totally embraced, not totally brought in. To some degree, perhaps misunderstood is the best way to describe it. So there you find yourself, though, in a room full of people still alone, if not alone, still not intimately connected. There's still some Mm. level of disconnect. And so Mm. that was one of the things that drove the creation of this network is because most of the guys in our cities would agree, you know, the church that Terry started is doing great stuff. We really like it. We don't really understand it a lot. Certainly reaching people that would probably never be reached by what we're doing. And they, they, they were kind, they were friendly, they were to some degree supportive, but I I never, I never found my tribe. I never found where I could talk and be understood. I didn't have to explain. I didn't have to repeat it for them. It just, it just resonated. And I think that's what we saw that that third strand, it didn't replace anything. The, the organizational denominational leadership were not threatened Mm -hmm. by us because we're clearly not doing that. That's not even what we want. We're not even touching that arena and we're not interfering with national organizations. And no, we're just, we're, these guys, they belong to you. They're not ours, but they're doing something that's very similar to this whole group that's gathered. And I think you're going to find out that they'll be greatly helped and so encouraged that you'll get them back in a much healthier state. And in some cases, you know, national church mm-hmm. organizations can be very possessive. So this is like, this is mm-hmm. our church. They're doing something different, but they're still our church. And the answer is, of course they are. And we're not com- we're not competing with that. But this time away is going to send them back to you in a much healthier state. And And absolutely what happened over time was even national leaders and organizational leaders would say, you know, Terry, this is just being in this room and sensing the level of connection. It's Mm. something that's rare. And it's rare because we were just enough ahead that when when we gathered, it was like this is the one and only. This Mm. is the one and only place that this kind of connection happens. Thus, it's cherished and valued and longed for at a very high rate. Wow. 
that that is uh it, it it's it's mind bending to me that I had absolutely no idea <laughs> that you guys this is what you were doing. But you know, I'm here. I am. Uh, you know, trying to do a lot of what you're mentioning. Uh, uh, I thank God for bringing us together in that regard, yeah. and I I'm super thankful to to uh, get some exposure. You know, you guys have been doing this for a while. When did you actually start that network component? I know you've built two of them. Right. So FEIC is called Fellowship of European International Churches. And it's simply, you know, FEIC.org takes you to that website. Mm -hmm. That one launched in 2004. Okay. And then in 2012, I launched another network kind of on the, on the premise of what we'd seen happen in Europe we, we launched one called G-I-C-N, G as in Gary, G-I-C-N as in Nancy, G-I-C-N.org, and that's called a Global International Church Network. Okay. And there the intent was that we wanted to encourage and inspire, if we could, regional development. We want to see churches and regions, international churches, come together as we had in the region of Europe. So okay. that was the desire. So Africa, Asia, Latin America, could, could there be some regional connection developed like we had experienced in Europe? So those are the two. And uh, both mm-hmm. of them, if you get online, you can see them. I just was looking and, and the language, you'll read all the language. But we talked about FEIC and some of the stuff I've been saying is written there. But it simply said, this is what we want to offer. Supportive relationships that provide meaningful connection, sharing of resources that are specific to international ministry, and strategic church renewal and leadership development opportunities. Wow. So now feic.org. Yep. Europe. That's the European yeah. focused one. Right, in Europe. Yep. It launched in 2004 and yep. then gicn.org, yep. Global Connections for Regional Development. Yep. That launched in 2012. 2012. Okay. And GICN is a global, it just stands for Global International Church Network. And the simple byline says creating a relational connection for a global international church network. You guys, I, I'm guessing you built on some momentum there. Yes. Um, yeah. The, and it's as uh, strong as ever. Honestly, it's just, it's, it, it doesn't go away. And the guys who come in, the more people get looped in, the more this, this infectious core, you know, of, mm-hmm. of guys who stay in, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the, the whole, I, the whole reality of, of older men kind of speaking into younger men and older men to younger women. It just happens. It just happens organically because mm. the new guys come in and they join the older guys who've been around a while and, but are still effective and doing well. And older men replace themselves with younger men. So, it's really, it's just, it's, there's so many great stories there, Scott, of just some, our church in Barcelona is so dynamic and a older fellow who's now leading a church in Cairo, Egypt, turned it over to a younger guy. And the younger guy is just, he and his wife, Brandy are just thriving at every level. Wow. That's, that is, that is powerful. And, and again, for those who uh, are driving, uh, <laughs> are not where they can write. We'll put these uh, details in the show notes and on the podcast. You'll be able to see these links to these different organizations, feic.org, gicn.org. As we were talking a little bit before, we we were mentioning the importance of the relational piece, the relational connection, the relational dynamic. But as we as we 
talked about that before we started rolling here on the on the podcast. You mentioned the importance of adding the missional element to the relational part and how you guys have seen in your work that be not only essential, but very dynamic, very important, very powerful. Can you get into that for us a little bit? Yeah. When, when, the, when a network is deeply relational, which is how most networks start because they're, they're voluntary, you're not obliged to be there, you're not paying dues to be there, you're just, you're just belonging because that's what, that's what the invitation is. But yeah. there will come a point where if everything is focused just internally, while I may be or we may be strengthening the heart of the man or the woman or the leader, what we're not doing really is adding any value to a new level of life flow for the ministries they lead. And so what we knew was if we could tap to the strength of what makes us so close relationally and build on that to provide missional outflow that in every way creates for the body the same dynamic reality that's being experienced by the leader. And there's something great about a commonly shared missional value because it's been vetted by many individuals. So many people can speak to its value. Many people can say this just it works great when you turn your focus this way. And we've just found that that that, that in doing that, the, the missional value is something. And it's not always the same name, although often guys do even carry the same names. And say, hey, we started doing that, and it's been an amazing thing. Like our our church in Hong Kong has something they call one P one C. It's one mm-hmm. it's uh, one people one city, and as a, okay. di- a highly dynamic di- a community of diversity, they put together a big event in Hong Kong, and the idea is they are promoting uh, unity in diversity, and they're proclaiming that we though we are all different faces and different bloods and different ethnicities. It's one people for one city. We are one people and we're pulling for one city. We here are pulling for and, and, and that's what they communicate. So that 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 the, the church in Hong, Hong Kong, ICA in Hong Kong, they're pulling for Hong Kong. And they, they have leaders and ambassadors who come and stand on stages and speak to their their constituents. So the Sri Lankan ambassador or the 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 ambassador from Japan or the ambassador from the Philippines or whoever. They invite these guys to come. So it's community leaders. It's community touch. It, to some degree, involves community development, and it puts the life of the church in the in the, the, the mainstream of what is on the heart of every civic leader, which is a city united, not divided, a mm. city that speaks with, with one clear voice. And so that piece, we all have some way in which we do some sort of community development piece and we share it and we celebrate it. You'll see stories about that and other events on the website. But that's that's one of the things we do. Another mm. big piece we're working on now is by being able to touch the marginalized people. In big cities, there are marginalized communities for which there needs to be an advocate and an advocate voice. And if there is no advocate, these marginalized sectors in our city go unnoticed. So we want to alert mm. to that and become a voice for them. That is, I'm just clearly scratching notes here again. So, uh, sorry about that. But yeah, so the community development aspect and the marginalized people aspect is something you guys have seen that spawned out of of this natural progression 
from and I, and what relational I to missional. Yeah. Go ahead. And what I Go see ahead. you going on that I just want to repeat there is that the tighter the relational link is, mm-hmm. it, I think it's important to build out when that relational link is is at a, a high level because then it gives greater value and greater buy-in to the missional piece. And right. then the body is experiencing at their own level dynamic life in the way the leader is, and it links the two things together. So again, the pastor continues to thrive in his environment, and he, we're creating environments for the body to thrive collectively. Right. I'm, I'm writing this down here. I'm getting all kind of little graphs I'm doing. So like uh, relational, the tighter the relation creates immediate momentum or or maybe the, the stronger the relationship aspect, the momentum's more quickly generated. Yes. And the relational connection that might be pastoral is transferred to congregational through the missional aspect and activation, and it, 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 I guess it creates a, a much broader impact for what's actually going on inside those key relationships. You see that impact get spread and multiplied in this progression. That, that's very, very, very cool. So that is that's powerful. And I think if we give if we give there's purpose in our movement. You know, we obviously relationship is important in itself, but as we can come together for different and additional types of purpose, all under, obviously under the umbrella of the gospel, of godly life, of encouraging each other, and of creating long-lasting results in God's kingdom, those are beyond worthwhile. So that's, that's, uh, that's very encouraging to hear. As we're as we're getting close to wrap up here, you're headed back to Brussels, I believe. You'll be there yes, in, in some some few weeks, correct? Yes, I will. Okay, I'm coming by to see you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I'm actually supposed to be in uh, in Europe in next summer, so hopefully I can get pass through there or maybe look you up during that time. I'm, I'm going to spend some time. It looks like in Sweden and potentially in Italy as well. So I'll be not too far from you. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting, Scott, just quick note. I actually have an apartment in Malmo, Sweden, which is across the bridge from Copenhagen. <laughs> so I okay. Will, I'll meet you in Sweden or Italy. That, either one. <laughs> that's, that sounds awesome. And I'll, I'll very much look forward to catching up with you over there. As we're as we're coming close to a wrap up here, what are you guys? What are you doing as you go back to Brussels? What do you have as some of the top things on your list? What are you trying to get done? We, for one, I'm interested, and and I thank you for being so forthright and sharing here. But also, I want us to pray for you and for some of the stuff that's on your list as the as those listening, you know, are getting a vibe of what you're doing, what you're trying to accomplish. It'd be great if we could join you in agreement and prayer for those things. Yeah. I'll tell you, there's two things. One is this. I I have a couple of uh, church leadership transitions that we need just to see, ask God for favor for them to, to to be processed and to go forward with great clarity and unity. And so Mm -hmm. one of those, those are big things for us because those Mm -hmm. are, those are important moments, fragile moments often. But you know, the, the fact is every transition Every transition is difficult. Some of them can be fraught with just, you know, they're just, they're desperately hard. But mm-hmm. the end result is they're all defining. Transitions yeah. are defining moments. Difficult, mm-hmm. challenging, but they're defining. So we're asking the Lord for help there. 
And the second piece is we're trying to be very intentional about about a culture creation piece. And that mm-hmm. that that to me it, it matters because when you when you really define a culture, you give people a chance to either align easily or to come into agreement. Some people okay. align easily because what you say resonates with them. For other people, it's not an automatic alignment, so it has to be. It, it's it's not acceptance immediately, but it's an, an alignment piece. And right. I, I I love to talk with people who are willing to say, "I'm not there yet," but I but I hear what you're saying, and it does resonate in my heart. And then you just take the long you take the long road of mm-hmm. alignment. And so I have some leaders who have clearly said. It's an alignment piece for me, Terry. It's 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 not automatic. It's going to be alignment, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to stay engaged and close, and uh, and and just see that whole process go full circle for them. Absolutely, and I completely get what you're saying right now. So these are the two things we're going to be praying for. We we'll be praying for, and I can say from personal experience, the challenging of church leadership transitions. <laughs> Lord, more grace there, please. And number two, culture creation. So we're we're going to dig in on that. Next time we we catch up, I'll get a get a chance to see how we're doing on the prayer side on that. So thank you so much for being with us, Terry. Really really enjoyable, fascinating. I'm super inspired over here. I'll catch up with you. Hopefully I'll get to catch up with you again before you leave the country just to just to so everyone on the mic, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't hear me going on and on about how how excited I am about what you guys are doing. I'm super thankful to have had the time. Well, thank uh, once you again, for inviting me yeah. in, and I also thank want to say, you. Oh, yeah. and I just, I'll be praying for you and your followers. Thank you for inviting me in, and I, though not knowing them, I understand what you're trying to do, Scott. And I'll be praying with you and the followers, those who are connected to you as well. Absolutely, thank you. Once again, feic.org or GICN.org to see some of what Terry's up to. We'll be in touchdown range, Terry. Just exciting stuff. Thank you again. This is Scott McClelland with your From the Forefront by FX Missions. Thanks for joining our podcast. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. This podcast made possible through the partnership of Engaging Missions Show bringing missions home, and encouraging you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Find out more at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for joining us for the FX Missions podcast from the forefront. If you'd like to find out more about FX Missions, please do so at our blog, fxmissions.com. Quite a bit of content out there. We hope you enjoy it. Also, If you'd like to rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, we would really appreciate it. And find out more about today's guest at our Facebook page. Just search for From the Forefront on Facebook. If you know of someone who should be featured on From the Forefront because of their Forefront missions experience or exploits, please reach out to us at info at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, I'm Scott McClelland, and you have a good one.